ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Chris and Andre Show. and Andre's show. Like I said before, Chris was going to be out and about doing some work. Uh, this is episode six. Uh, did I get that right, Chris? Sure. I lost count. <laughs> <laughs> this we is what happens you- when Chris takes two weeks off. He just like totally checks out from this and he's got to he's got to spend an entire 24 hours trying to get himself back into the mindset of doing podcasts again. So honestly, I have no idea what episode this is. It's, uh, it's episode six. All right. Episode six. This is where we take time to uh, discuss things that are important in our lives, and we don't always agree, but we typically do. Uh, different it perspectives. It makes the conversation more interesting when we don't, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah, but even when we disagree, we don't really disagree, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we hope that you uh, have enjoyed what you've heard so far. If you haven't listened to every episode, you can catch us on Spotify, Pandora, iTunes Music, Google Play Music. And follow us on, looks like, all the social media channels in the world. Um, <laughs> so let's dive in. Sports. I, I kind of, I'm still a Carolina fan, although we can't seem to do anything right. Um, oh, come on. I mean, you guys played Duke. You played them okay. You went to overtime. And you lost on, like, a last second, you know, put back layup. Like, I... This whole poor Carolina, poor us. Oh, my God. We've only won three national championships in the last 10 years. Like, I'm sorry. I have no sip. That's like hearing a freaking Patriots fan complaining about Tom Brady moving on. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> you're, you're totally saying that from a state fan's point of view. Oh, no. I'm saying that from the point of view of a fan who has had, as I think I previously mentioned, one team in my entire 35 years of being fans of other sports teams that has won a championship in the sport that they play. Oh, okay. So, but anyways. I, I, go ahead. Sorry. I, you were saying I, something I, about Carolina sucks. <laughs> I didn't say they suck, but this is just not our season. Um, Would you say it's the least gifted team that Roy Williams has had in his entire tenure at Carolina? If I said that, I would uh, officially not be qualified to be a coach. (laughs) (laughs) So I know I won't. Um, Hey, I mean, on the bright side, you guys did beat State, so. Yeah, lost to BC also. It's it's just not a good, uh, it's a bad season. That's okay. Yeah, it happens. Uh, The Super Bowl. Yeah. I'm done done with college basketball because the odds of us going to the NCAA are slim to none. Yeah. It's not very far out of reach, but the Super Bowl, what do you think? Um, you know, it's I find myself most years, right, watching, if I pay attention to the Super Bowl, watching two teams that I don't really care about. This was probably one of the Super Bowls where I was more engaged, considering the fact that I didn't have a vested interest in either team. Um, I think ultimately I was pulling a little more for Kansas City than I was San Francisco. Um mm-hmm. Which is weird to say, having been a Chargers fan up until right. yesterday for as long as I had been. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know, like, it was weird watching that game because the first three quarters, Mahomes did not look right. Like, he looked scared out there, which was weird because I've just never really seen that in him. And then all of a sudden, it's like he hit that one big play to Tyreek Hill, and he was like, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing, and went and won the game. I mean... 
you're going to laugh. And I don't make this just to bring him up. I don't make this comparison, but it reminded me a little bit of Russell, Russell Wilson in that, in that Packers game where it's like you play awful for three quarters and are to some degree, the reason your team is behind. And then all of a sudden it just clicks and there you go. Like you, that's the thing with guys like Mahomes, I think is, you know, it's not too dissimilar from from other star athletes in sports where it's like they hit that one shot, you know, or that they get that one hit in baseball and all of a sudden like they're unstoppable. So uh, but well, I thought overall, you know, I mean, it was an exciting game. You know, it came down to the last couple of minutes um, and I, don't know, I was out in Arizona. Uh, we had a big work Super Bowl party uh, where everybody kind of made a little dish. I made my uh, vegan buffalo cauliflower bites, Ooh, uh, which were fantastic. Um, so, but yeah, it was it was fun. I enjoyed it. What did you think? I thought it was a game. Um, my my reservations right on <laughs> my reservations on giving either one of these QBs like the uh, the seal of approval is kind of it would be too early. You know, um, I mean, yeah, Garoppolo certainly didn't do anything in that game. I don't think to convince me that he I mean, but again, it was one like one full season as a starter. I'm not writing him off, but I certainly am not like sitting there going, well, he's going to be one of the quarterbacks of the future. Yeah, I, I think he played well. I think they both played well. I think it was good football. Um, it just it was an L. It wasn't a. they didn't dominate or. Neither did the other team concede the victory before the game was over, in my opinion. I think it was just a good, well-balanced game. I, you know, congrats to Andrew Reid. Not that he needs my congratulations, but that was great. I would have loved to see Shanahan get the win, um, you know, for obvious reasons. So, But I think that San Fran's got, like, something they can build upon. Um, just yeah. wasn't there yet. No, I agree. And I think that was the other thing in me ultimately, because I, I really went into it with no, without picking a side. And it was probably about halftime that I was like, you know, ultimately between these two, I'd rather see Kansas City win. Andy Reid had already been to a Super Bowl. You know, Shanahan, by all rights, should have plenty more opportunities to go win Super right. Bowls. So yeah. I was I was happy for Andy Reid to see him get to go win one, because I think he's a good guy. I think... Um, you know, I've never rooted for his teams, but I always thought that he was a good coach. I rooted for him when McNabb was under his uh, tutelage. So yeah. if I'm being honest, uh, you know, hats off to one of the most, you know, dominating black quarterbacks and shows the game what it was going to happen in, a, you know, 15 years down the road. So, um, and yet some people think he doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. Those people are idiots. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> No offense, but you're an idiot. If like what he did for the game was inspiring to me when I was young. Yeah. Um, so, so speaking of the Hall of Fame, um, two things that I wanted to talk about with regards to that. One, you know, Eli Manning obviously has officially retired, um, and yeah. I know we've discussed it briefly in the past. But what are your thoughts on him and whether or not he is a Hall of Fame quarterback? Ooh. Okay. I don't think he is. I think he's, um, it's, I hate to say, it, I don't think Peyton is either. I don't think that, I think they're great quarterbacks. I think they're legends. They're not Hall of Famers. Um, now, if you go into like the technical aspect of their game, then that's a different argument. So the way they're able to read the line 
and make adjustments. Peyton did it better than Eli, obviously. Um, I think that, that would qualify Peyton for the Hall of Fame. But if you look at overall career, the answer is no. I don't think either one of them have shown consistency to be, well, Peyton. I, I would say Peyton more so than Eli. Eli, not so much. I mean, um, Eli Manning did not win a single playoff game outside of those two Super Bowl runs. And he used to be a very good Thanksgiving quarterback. Yeah. And I used to depend on that. I was like, well, you know, it's Eli. He doesn't warm up until, like, after the turkey. Right. He's broke. I mean, like, the last five years. It's oh, been, yeah. It's, yeah. You can't even depend on that. Um, no, and I think, I mean, you're right. Like, I think ultimately, like, Eli was a good quarterback. Uh, he was a good fit on that Giants team. Playing in New York is always a little tricky. And I think that, I mean, as milk toast as he is, that worked in that environment. You know, right. like he didn't draw any undue attention and that sort of thing. He worked with Coughlin, too. Um, you know, I mean, Coughlin, they were like the Coughlin. only team that beat the freaking Patriots, you know. Yeah, and Coughlin that. as a coach should go to the Hall of Fame, if I'm being honest. Um, and I know that's probably not the most popular thing to, to say. I just think the guy deserves it. And I, and I don't want to take away anything from Eli. I think that the, the front office screwed Eli when they decided to make Victor Cruz a anchor of the team it limited what he had in protecting the pocket he's not an outside the pocket quarterback yeah he doesn't have the mobility uh same thing with obj and sorry for anybody out, out there that says i'm wrong then you can stop listening he's not obj is not that great um you saw it in the super bowl ad that commercial that commercial is the epitome of what i said like if you go to the projects or if you go to the hood obj is not a phenom He's right. just like every other guy. Um, so, yeah, I don't think Eli is a Hall of Famer. And I, there may be some aspect I'm not looking at, but I, I do believe that as far as his capacity as a quarterback to understand the game at the line and make good decisions, the last five or six seasons has shown that he's not that guy anymore. Yeah. Earlier in his career, he was definitely that guy. See, and I, I agree with you on Peyton because I look at – you know, before Peyton Manning came into the NFL, you didn't regularly see quarterbacks up at the line of scrimmage, reading the defense and changing the plays, audibling to other stuff. And after right. a few seasons of that and him going and, and being as successful as he was with it, you started to see more and more teams entrusting quarterbacks and trying to get them to read it the same way. And so I right. think in that regard, he really helped to evolve that position that he played in the game around it. And I, I mean, I mean, Eli, I think, did a lot of the same stuff, but like you said, not as well necessarily as Peyton and certainly wasn't the first one because Peyton had, had shown up first. So, I mean, to some degree, you know, maybe if, if Peyton or if, if Eli was the older brother, he'd be the one in the going to the Hall of Fame and not Peyton. But um, no, I don't I don't think I think Peyton's ability to I think Peyton understands the game at a different level than Eli does. I think Peyton's more of, the, of those top like. I would say the same thing of Brett Favre, um, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees. There's a lot of quarterbacks that when you go pound for pound with ability, it's just that Eli doesn't have it. He's a good quarterback, and he's probably – he will be a legend, but he's not at that tier of, wow, I really respect what you're able to bring to every game. Yeah. Um, I think Mahomes, if I'm being honest, showed the same Eli qualities in that game. <laughs> so it – 
there was yeah, but I, Mahomes is nope. is a significantly nope. better athlete than Eli, oh, yeah, and I'm not saying that that makes him a better quarterback. But I'm but that's a separating factor. That's it. The, his ability to do what he's able to do on the field makes him a better athlete. Yes, better quarterback, not so much. Yeah. Um, he's got a good arm. He he can get his targets. His inconsistency in the first half of the game would make me say, unless he can do something different over the next three seasons then it's the same conversation. Yeah. So, I mean, the, there are talks of Dak Prescott being kicked out of Dallas for potentially, you know, this is just talk right. for a Tom Brady trade. Sure. Well, what does that say about the confidence that they have in these up and coming stars oh, all yeah. the way around? It doesn't make me feel confident. I mean, for, uh, first off, that's, that would be ridiculous. Let's just admit like, yeah, uh, would it be? Yeah, it would be. If you watched Tom Brady play this last season, I think it would be. <laughs> I mean, I just I don't think Dak was the reason that the Cowboys weren't, weren't winning games, and I don't think if you put an immobile, you know, forty what two year old Tom Brady behind that offensive line that you're going to do much better. I mean, Dallas has a good offensive line. Don't get me wrong, but I just I don't under I don't I don't think the difference at this stage in their careers in terms of ability on the field is that different between Tom Brady and, and Dak Prescott. So my question, it's not that it, it could happen. My question is, why is it a conversation? Well, right? in so, part because we live in this 24-hour news cycle around every individual sport, and so we've got to have something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll give you that. And my, the more outlandish my, things you say, the more clicks you get. That's, that's true. My question is more so around the, the, the actual game, yeah. right? So if, if that's even a consideration that you're not willing to grow that that organization back to a position of strength, then that tells you a lot about the confidence that you have in those players. I so, think it's there's another factor, though, too. I mean, you look at, look at what the Browns have been doing for the last 30 years, right? All they want to do is win, yeah. right? It's not like they're out here trying to lose on purpose, but there is such a lack of patience in a, I mean Hugh Jackson right they hire Hugh right. Jackson this is not going to be a, a one or two year rebuild this is a process we're going to go through this we're going to give Hugh all the time in the world and a season and a half later they fire his ass because they can't wait to see what's going to happen if the same thing is happening with NC State fans and Kevin Keats and Dave Doran right now and I'm not saying right. that either one of them are future Hall of Fame coaches in their you know professions but give the guys a chance I mean, you can't keep pulling the plug over and over again. One, two, three. You know, in college, I feel like it's a little different, but in the pros, it's one, two, three years, and the guy's gone. I mean, uh, was it Vance Joseph in in Denver? And I know that you weren't yeah, like yeah. you know a huge believer necessarily in what Vance was building there, but you gave the guy like two years, and then you pulled the plug on him. I just, for but, the life of me, I don't, I, you know. But it's this whole like we have to win now. You know, I have to make money now, and I can't make money if my team is losing. So the question I would ask you, I mean, I, I think it's more of a front office, like navigational problem. Yeah, I agree. So I, I don't necessarily think it's the wins or, but it's when you, a, a coach allows his team to get dominated consistently. That's not the right coach. So a loss is different from getting beat. Yeah. And when your team can consistently get beat, you're doing something fundamentally wrong. So I think you could probably have a losing record and build a team, but I don't think you can afford to get dominated across different games. Um, and and I don't when I say that I don't mean to argue that nobody should ever get fired within the first. No, couple I don't. Of season, I don't right? think you're saying that. I'm saying like if if it's me, if I was the front office guy, yeah, I would be like, okay, we're taking our L's, right? 
but we're not getting beat. Like when you start giving up games, yeah. Casey almost did in the, in the Super Bowl. That could have been a telltale sign of how Andy Reid was running the organization. So you get you can't get lucky all the time, and you've got to figure out a way to you know, to minimize the loss and and stop the bleeding. So I, I think that yeah, Vance Joseph, I wasn't a big fan, but I also didn't like the fact they were just getting dominated in some games. Yeah. Um, so I can see why he got. I can see why any coach that gets fired if they're getting dominated. Yeah. I, I mean, again, you know, I think there's definitely valid reasons to get rid of guys. Um, I think you know, and and obviously a lot of the the front offices have a probably greater insight into the status of the locker room and team morale right. and those sorts of things, right? And how bought in players into the messages that the coaches are are preaching um, than we do. But I, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just one of those things. It's kind of, it's, it's interesting to me the way that, that that happens. And I think you see that, you know, in a lot of, it's like that, you know, uh, instant gratification, right? Like I want to hire a coach who's going to come in and immediately go win a Super Bowl. And you see it happen other places, which makes, leads people to believe, well, I just don't have the right guy. So let me just every year, every two years, I'm going to try rotating a new you know, leader in here and see if I finally get one that sticks. And it's like, I, I don't know. I think if you spent more time actually trying to identify the right characteristics and, you know, being a successful head coach and actually hired the right person, as opposed to just pulling out, you know, whatever name out of the hat or whatever hot coaching tree is. You Dude, you, you, you completely said it right there. The key is hiring the right person. Yeah. I had a, uh, I had one of my former like directors tell me, give me some advice about, I, I had a tendency to try to mix teams up every now and then because I didn't feel, or I didn't see, it wasn't my feelings. I didn't see the fit of that particular team lead as opposed to somebody else. And the advice she gave me was, you know, I'm okay with you moving people around, but can you afford the hit in your P&L that, it, you know, that you're going to take once you move somebody around? Now, that was a very obvious question i never thought about asking so i would move somebody and then automatically six months lose results well if i if i move six people that's a big hit yeah so i think it is having you know it is being patient and making those moves at the right time so you're not wrong i i totally agree with you it's just a matter of like uh of the business of the pressure you have whether it be business pressure or whatever it may be that's driving you to see like i've got to move i've got to do something how do you balance that out? And I don't think the NFL has figured that out. Um, I mean, even the XS, XFL, I didn't watch the games this week, and I'm sorry I missed that. But they fired a DC, like, just after the first game. Yeah. Because they, they got dominated by, like, 20-some-odd points. So we're, I think, yeah, we're both saying the same thing. It's just a matter of, like, figuring out what that what's that win going to look like. And I, I'm a firm believer in – if you're not getting dominated, you're just taking an L. People are okay with that. You're, you've got to get that foundation right. Yeah. If, if you're getting dominated, yeah, tough luck, you know. And I feel sorry for something like a, the guy that was at New York. Gosh, I can't remember his name. The uh, defensive coordinator that won them two Super Bowls and went later won to the West Coast. Gosh, can't remember. Older guy. Can't. Oh man, what's his name? It wasn't Tom Sula, was it? No, it wasn't Tom Sula. Um, somebody out there can, I'll probably remember it tomorrow, yeah. but 
he was proof in the pudding that if you have the right person, you can take the mix of players you have and win some win some freaking games. That's that's what it's all about. Um, anyway, yeah, Super Bowl was good. I I wasn't rooting against either team. I, it just showed me. It reinforces my belief that you need a couple seasons to before you start believing your own press. And I hope that Garoppolo like doesn't take that L as like he sucks. I hope that um, that KC doesn't feel like they're they're that good because they really aren't. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I'm. It, it just it sets up next season to be probably more realistic. Um, no, I, I agree. I mean, own. I think it'll be really interesting to see how next season plays out. And I mean, especially with the like quarterback musical chairs that's about oh, to yeah. happen here, right? I mean, I you know I mentioned very briefly earlier. I'm no longer a Los Angeles slash San Diego Chargers fan because um, the one and only reason that I ever pulled for them <laughs> is no longer playing there. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm really curious to see what happens with Phil, um, with rivers to see if, if he ends up playing somewhere or if he decides that it's time to call it quits. Um, I mean, he's at best got three to four seasons left. Yes. I mean, at best. yeah, absolutely. But, and that's where, you know, I mean, some people think like he could come in to, uh, you know, a place where maybe they need to draft a quarterback this year, but they're not quite ready to start him. Um, or something like that, that, but. Yeah, then you end up with an Eli situation where you know your time is up yep. and you're just hanging out to hang out. Then what does that do for him if he does get that chance to get a couple snaps, you know? I mean, ultimately what he's looking for is an opportunity to try and go win a Super Bowl, right? I mean, like that's that's and I'm not saying he's going to get it, but that's that's what he wants. Um you know, he certainly doesn't want it to be handed to him, but he'd like to I think he'd like to find a situation where they feel like or he could look at it and say, "Hey man, maybe I'm the missing piece." Or if I am able to come in here and play at, you know, this level, um, I could help kind of push these guys. But it's going to be tough because I think you you saw this year that uh, some of the power dynamics in the NFL have shifted again with, you right. know, Baltimore is really good now with Lamar Jackson, although they hit the playoffs again. And so it will be interesting to see what happens there. KC winning, you got San Francisco is coming back, like. Um, some people think Indianapolis could be a decent spot for Rivers. He, you know, played with Frank Reich when Reich was his uh, offensive coordinator in San Diego. People weren't hugely sold on Jacoby Brissett after his se- season last year. So, um, you know, and that's a team that's got a really good defense. They got a good run game. They got, you know, T.Y. Hilton and maybe and uh, was it Jack Doyle? They got some yeah. receiving threats. You know, the I think ultimately though. You know, any situation with Rivers, it's got to be the offensive line. I mean, he's got to have five guys up front that are going to block for him and give him time. Because if you go back and watch, that's that's what happened this season. As much as anything, was I'm sitting there watching like highlights, and it's him getting pounded every time he's letting the ball go, and then he ends up getting intercepted. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want my quarterback taking those shots. He knows it's going to get picked off, but that's Rivers. Like right. you just kind of live with that. If you're not going to give him the time in the offensive line to protect him, then you're going to end up with a bunch of picks. That's just. <laughs> Well, I think I honestly believe next season is going to be pretty much anybody's season. Um, and I don't think there's any one dominant team going into the next season in the, of the NFL. So provided people can figure out a way to uh, balance those teams out. And it doesn't mean trades all, all around. It just means a matter of like, wh- what's our what's our strategy going to be to, to actually get the things successful that actually work for us, you know? Yeah. Uh, Shanahan, like, Forgetting about the run game, 
was is an example of it, it proves two things. One, that he's a Shanahan, and they're going to figure out a way to. <laughs> he's a <laughs> So prepare and watch for the run. But it also shows that you can't. You've got to have a balanced playing, like playing strategy. You have and to be able to do both things when you want to do both things. You have to be able to run the ball when you want to run it, and you have to be able to throw the ball when you want to throw it. Or maybe even want, more specifically, not when you want to, but when you need to. When right? you need to. When the other team knows that that's what you're going to be doing, that's when yeah. you need to. You need to have. That and I mean, yeah. If San Francisco had maintained that dominant running game and taken more time off the clock, then maybe KC doesn't get the chance to score as many points as they do, right? Like, yeah. And you've got to set your defense. Like, you you can't let like presumable weapons be open in the field. You can't let Tyreek Hill like skirt you a few times. You well, that was the the thing that I always thought was interesting because San Francisco is playing a very similar cover three defense to what Seattle plays. And people have been tearing Seattle's defense apart for recently because they figured out, oh, all I have to do is max protect and then get a couple crossing routes out deep enough and it gets everything screwed up and somebody's going to be wide open. And that's yeah. exactly what happened with Tyreek Hill. I mean, they ran yep. a big crossing route way out in the middle and all of a sudden, oh, I'm open because the safety went with the wrong guy. Like, well, I mean, if, if the guy's got speed on you, like you don't, you don't whine about it. You just understand their tendencies. Yeah, it's, it's that's just where they lost. They lost a game on those two factors. And I, but again, I don't really. I'm not a San Fran fan, you know, and I don't really care about KC. Um, I'm, it's nice to know that they're actually in Kansas. <laughs> that was like the funniest tweet. I literally like. There are a couple things that I said about the Super Bowl. One, people are going to rail on the halftime show. Yeah. And it happened. Yep. And two, if the president's watching, he's not going to know where Kansas City is. Nope. <laughs> the great state of Kansas. <laughs> uh, well, that was almost a good uh, transition into our next topic, but there was one other thing that I wanted to stick with on sports uh, before we go over to politics, if that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a little bit more of a downer, but, um, I'm curious to kind of get your take on everything that's been happening post, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant, uh, and the helicopter crash. Cause I was, um, I was shocked, you know, certainly anytime you lose somebody at that age, that's a public figure. Like it's kind of surprising. You expect them to be around, but I was also really kind of surprised by, I guess, just the you know, the, the magnitude of the response. Um, and so I was kind of curious, you know, cause I'm not a massive basketball fan. I was never a Lakers fan. And I, I hated the Lakers when I was out in, you know, Sacramento, I did, did not like Kobe Bryant for that specific reason. Um, but I always had a lot of respect for his game, you know, and, um, and felt like he was, he was that guy that helped to kind of bridge the league from Jordan to LeBron and kind of, you know, be that, that main guy for a while there yeah um you know my my heart goes out to his family and that's probably um that's probably the most important thing i i'm kind of i always get saddened when people don't give even though it's a public figure give the family time to mourn and grieve um but and, and then i try to keep the perspective of you know I, I can appreciate his ability as a player. And, I, and we've talked about this before. I've never been like a, a Kobe fan. I'm, yeah. 
I, I understand and appreciate uh, how the NBA has, you know, you have Jordan people. You have, like, I'm a Carmelo guy. Like, I love Carmelo. I wish you went back to the Knicks. We don't know why. But... Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate and respect Kobe's game. I wasn't a big Kobe fan even when he was playing until, like, I started to hear about him, like, what he had to go through just to stay in the game, like the surgeries and, you know, his work ethic. And I respect that a, a great deal about him. I don't – I'm not going to – like, this is not going to be popular. I don't know the guy like that. You yeah. Know? I, I, it, it's like for me, and this is, this is tough to say, but it's honest. When people died in Puerto Rico, when people died in Paris, it's like everybody changes their freaking Facebook status to the flag of those countries. Mm -hmm. What happens the day after like when people are still hurt and are in need? And so for me, I don't want to be hypocritical and and like act like yo kobe was my guy like that because i don't i don't know dude like that and that's it's you know i was respectfully like my heart goes out to his family that's about the only thing i can connect i can connect to i don't want to bandwagon grieve with everybody else because that's just not who i am yeah like for me it's like another 9-11 thing i'm always grateful when people come together come together over something i'm always disappointed when after that that emotional adrenaline is gone people go back to being themselves so um yeah i mean it's like (laughs) there's a week right in this case where it's like for a week everybody's like oh you know it's so sad and then everybody moves on with their lives and yeah it's like it, it it feels very hollow, I think. Yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, I wonder how much of it is kind of influenced by the fact that the people who are reporting on this, right, are in a lot of cases or or were close with Kobe, right, because they knew him as you know working with him as reporters and stuff like that. The guys on ESPN and whatnot. And so, how much of that and their emotion kind of ends up getting transferred to other people, right? Um, having that, that empathy for them, but I agree at the same time, it's like, yeah, okay. Hey, I hate that for his family. You know, uh, you never want to have to see somebody go through that and you certainly don't wish that upon anybody, but yeah, I mean, uh, ultimately, right. Kobe was one of nine people that was in that helicopter and and his daughter too. I mean, absolutely devastating to, to lose somebody at that age, but I mean, there were there were other kids and other parents in that in that helicopter crash. And I don't think ultimately that the loss of their lives is any less significant. Right. Than the loss of Kobe. And that's that's where I get a little frustrated sometimes with this stuff where, you know, public figures become these larger than life characters and we treat them almost like they're a god. You know, like, oh, you know, Kobe was going to live forever. No, he wasn't like he was going to pass away at some point. Yeah. (laughs) So I, I mean, I've gone through the same thing with Michael Jackson, with Prince. And I mean, I, I dude, I'm not a heartless person, but and I mean, I, I need to love the people that I do life with while they're alive. Right. You know, um, spend your time focused on that, not grieving the people that you didn't know who were gone. Yeah. I mean, like, it's always sad when people talk. You go to funerals and people say it all the time. We should spend more time you know, loving people that we're with right now while they're alive and not giving them flowers after they're dead. And, you know, I, I, 
I don't know. Like I, I'm, I'm really, I really feel bad for his family, but yeah. I can't. Like, I'm not going to pretend like it's devastating to me. People die every day. People die in the inner cities every day. People die in the suburbs every day that are probably volunteers at their school or their library or, you know, mentoring kids. And for whatever reason, we don't try to change our behaviors for those people, but we're going to pretend like we're going to change our behaviors for, you know, and not for somebody else. Yeah. Uh, we falsely act like we give a crap when people get massacred in schools, when people get massacred in, in, in Paris, when people die from, earthquakes and floods in, in Puerto Rico. These are like our neighbors. These are people that we probably have more in common than celebrities. So, I mean, call me whatever you want. I mean, people listening, like I'm, I'm not trying to, all I can say is like, I, I, my heart goes out to his family and that's probably where it stops. But I mean, true behavior, true like empathy. Like why don't we have that for people that we, we probably have more in common with? If I'm being honest, wholeheartedly agree. It's time for politics. All right, let's get into something much more fun to talk about. We're going to talk about politics now. <laughs> um, so once again, have not watched any of the debates live. Um, but I have been trying to keep tabs and, uh, watching some, you know, clips and highlights and stuff like that on YouTube. Um, I do personally prefer to get my news from Saturday night live. So I've been watching a lot of that <laughs> lately too. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, you know, the, the whole debacle in Iowa, I mean, Jiminy Christmas, like you're going to roll out this new app and do all this stuff and then everything breaks down. Um, so that sure was interesting. <laughs> Yeah, my, my takeaway from that was, wow, um, I, I think that that was the wrong play. <laughs> like, um, I'm sure the intent was to speed up the process some. Oh, yeah. But I, it did tell and show a little bit of Buttigieg's, but, Mayor Pete's, I don't want to butcher his name. Mayo Pete. It does, yeah, Mayo <laughs> Yeah, that's even better. <laughs> it shows it shows his character, yo. Yeah. Like I was really disap like I don't I don't rock with a guy like that. But he's kind of a little arrogant piece of something. Um, <laughs> I mean, like I, I'm not down with him like that. Um Yeah, I if people have if people can tell me what they see in him that resonates, I would love to hear it. Because nothing he says seems genuine. And so, no, he's a no for me. Elizabeth Warren is, I, I don't know. There's something about her where it's like, eh, you, nope, can't, can't rock with you either. Mm -hmm. She did really address the race issue and made a very valid point that Democrats only come around. And I, I, I didn't, I, I'm so frustrated. I did not rage tweet during the debate because I wanted to. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to do that again. I want to make sure I'm listening. Elizabeth Warren, I'll give her a thumbs up for actually address, you know, being very honest and saying, hey, by the way, we got to stop ignoring people's votes. Or we got to stop ignoring our citizens and only waiting to address them, you know, during election year. Right. 
and I'm not trying to, you know, pander to the whole race card. So that's why I'm trying to watch what words I use. And I, it also makes me think that if non-white voters were really involved in politics, President Obama, Andrew Yang, anybody else, like people that may not look like normal politicians, mm-hmm. even AOC, they would not be like a, a a novelty. They would actually be more of the norm. So the Democrats are not getting it right because they're they're just basically pandering. Yep. But if people and I hate the, I even hate to use the word people of color. If you just said non-whites. <laughs> I know. Right? I mean, That's what it really boils down to because it is. I mean, you look, you know, the the representation, right, in politics is is not anywhere near what the actual makeup of our country is. Like it's a right. bunch of old white dudes. I'm sorry. Like and I'm I'm a, I'm a white dude. Like I don't have any well, problems saying that. I'm not trying to but, I, but hear, hear me out. I'm not trying to hate on white dudes. No, I know, like, but it's it's not like, it's not even hating on white dudes. It's just saying that like we want I would like to see more diversity in politics, you know, like I would rather see more non-white people in positions of power within the political structure because it creates a diversity of thought and ideas and solutions that you're not going to get when you have the exact same people standing in a room together. Like, but I'm, but I'm also against the establishment. So what if there's some like Tom Steyer, for example, yeah. right? He's not, he's not establishment. But he's actually one of the most honest speaking people on the debate stage. Yeah. Right? I he's he he's been catching my interest a little more lately. I mean it's Yeah. I mean, and honestly, him and Mike Bloomberg too. Like I <laughs> You wanna hear my call? Yeah. I think that Bloomberg if Biden doesn't come out of New Hampshire and he can't get a good win in South Carolina, I foresee the Democratic Party nominating Mike Bloomberg. I could see it. I also think that, like, if I'm like, that's my call. I think if Biden can't pull it together, do you think he will? I don't think he has. I don't think he has the ability to understand. Like, if this guy says, "I've got the African American vote one more time," (laughs) I'm like, "No, (laughs) you don't, bro." (laughs) Right. You're on some like living in the past type stuff. Like I, I spent I, eight years as the vice president to Barack Obama. Black people will automatically vote for me. <laughs> like, yeah. What? Like, you gotta, you gotta come a little bit. Like, you, you gotta be more honest about what you're doing. Yeah. Like you, you're assuming that I rock with you like that. I don't rock with you. I nothing you have said, aside from your 45 years of experience, is relevant to me. Did, I mean, was there anybody that voted for Barack Obama simply because Joe Biden was his VP? I doubt it. Right. I mean, like, yeah. and that's the thing. I think Joe Biden was a very good vice president. And I think he actually did a good job under Obama for specifically what kind of like needed to happen there. Um, right. I don't think he would make a good president. And and again, like, I just as much as I'm as like Steyer and Bloomberg kind of interest me. And they are both old white guys. Biden is like, like you said, he's the establishment old white guy. Like he's been in politics forever. He's he's old and he's white. Like it's just like the other guys. I can I, you know, are intriguing because it's like all right, they're not from within that system as much. I mean, Bloomberg has served, you know, as uh, what mayor of New York, but and 
And that worries me a little because I feel like if you're going to be in New York, you gotta, you can't be this like, I mean, granted, politics, there's, I don't think there's that many upstanding, you know, like kind of folks in politics in general, but um, New York is a the different issue, piece, as you know. <laughs> yeah, the issue is, the issue has nothing to do with, for me, race or gender, right? It's the establishment. If the establishment is corrupt, and we can all agree on that at some level, why aren't we doing more as citizens to change the establishment? So, but isn't that the same reason that a lot of people voted for Trump four years ago? No. I, yes and no, actually, more clearly. Yes and no. I think that people are tired of the establishment, but the only person that was somewhat being honest about like the people's feelings about the establishment was Trump. Yeah. So he was bound to happen. Like Trump, a Trump was bound to happen, in my opinion. And I think the Democrats do themselves an injustice by separate. They separate people more on race and freaking the, the Republicans. Well, yeah, but I think to some degree, that's because Republicans are, aren't worried about it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, that, that, it's, be, there's, I, there's, no, there's no true conservative voice. So if you if you were like in real talk and if people don't agree with this. You need to ask yourself some real different questions. If you look at the, the core values of the conservative party or conservatives in general, guess what align? Most ethnic groups align with that. And unfortunately, like there's no true voice of conservatives in this country. Right. It's either far right, nutball crazy, or it's far left, yeah, you're scaring me crazy. Like yeah. that's bankrupting like philosophies. And if you're gonna if you're gonna call a spade a spade, if you look at Hispanic communities, you look at Asian communities, you look at the black community, we're predominantly pretty conservative. But there's no conservative party. Republicans don't really speak to like our core family values, and progressives sure as Shinola don't fit with our our core conservative values. So my my point being is like if you are, if you're gonna be real about it, like most non-white voters are probably more conservative leaning than what people would believe yeah and the democratic party is just the the devil that you know party if you go through any major platform issue with the exception of possibly the environment and that's probably a more it's that the the passion there in our community is more than likely coming from our younger voters but if you're to go through every other platform issue they're conservative I'm sorry, whether it's uh, abortion, what you you pick one, and you're going to more than likely find a very conservative view amongst non-white voters than you would with white voters. It's interesting. So, I mean, it, and I guess that then why don't we see more? I get. In, do you have any thoughts as to why the political parties have moved to the extremes as opposed to moving to the middle? I mean, it feels like you're you know, you're going to attract more voters if you're closer to the middle. Is it just so that they can simply differentiate themselves? Is it, is it? So the middle only works for those two parties, in my opinion, when you don't have the establishment associated with that. And Bernie Sanders is a good example of that. He's got the most youthful voters or young voters in, of any person basically mm -hmm. like young people get behind what he's saying well he's also not really trying to be status quo for the establishment 
it, it proves a point. Like most people, most reasonable people, and yourself and I would be included in that, aren't really one extreme or the other extreme. We're probably more centrist, more moderate people. Every election year, they're, they're always trying to figure out how to get you know swing voters or the moderates to pick a side. Yeah. Well, guess what? This I'm I'm willing to place money that there are more swing and moderates and more reasonably thinking people than there are the extreme. The media just placates to the extreme of either side. Right. Yeah, and that's I mean that's frustrating because I know that it for the most part, right? <laughs> just simple statistics tells you that most people are going to be in the, <laughs> in the middle <laughs> somewhere. It's called a bell curve for a reason. Like, yeah, the majority of people are going to fall somewhere in the middle, um, and then with decreasing volumes at the extremes. And so, yeah, it's um. You know, I can only I, I can't imagine being not even having any sort of feeling like you don't really have any representation in government. And then also seeing like this extreme, you know, like from a like you were saying, like from a race perspective, not seeing representation within government. But then also just from a general core beliefs perspective, then not feeling like you really have, you know, either political party that you can wholeheartedly associate with or feel like you're really part of, you know, it's almost like, well, right. I'm an afterthought to these political groups. You know, once I get done taking care of the white voters and what they want, then I'll come back and think about what I'm, but which is crazy. Cause I keep looking at like, you know, percentages and stuff in of, you know, uh, like makeups in the, in the United States. And it's not like, it's not like we're like 80% white folks. Like, you know? that's always amazing. That always amazes me. How it's is like, it like, how is it that how, like, there's all these white people in charge when we don't even make up more than 50% of the population? Like, Well, because you have more money when it's the establishment, like you said, right? Like that's, that's the big part of it is this, this, this ongoing, it's a system that's been built to keep, certain people in power and to keep other people from getting close enough to really attain it. So, I mean, Bernie's not wrong. There needs to be a revolution of some type or sort, and it doesn't have to be some type of, it, it has, doesn't have to be crazy. The reality is that people have got to become more educated and more committed to making these choices for themselves and not depending. How is it possible that in South Carolina, like Joe Biden has got a majority of anything, Yeah. right? What was the last time Joe Biden was actually in South Carolina? Right. Well, and again, I think we talked about this on the last podcast. Like, I just don't. Wait, where was I going with that? There was something. What were we talking about? There was something... Well, you think about that. I want to make one point yeah. that blew my mind and actually came up at the, the debate when they were talking about the opioid crisis. I was, uh -huh. I can't, I, I can't remember who said it, but one of the, the, the candidates actually said, well, you know, speaking of that, the African American community is actually like, "Hey, thanks for showing up," because yeah. it wasn't like it wasn't a problem when it was crack. And I I've been saying that for years. I'm tired of hearing about the opioid crisis. Yep. I'm not that I want to hear about people dying, but yo, know, nobody was showing love when the crack epidemic was happening. Nobody was showing love when it was not, you know, when it was only affecting your constituents that you only need every two or four years. Right. So, like, let's get down to some real issues. Think we about this, though, also, right? Like, it wasn't until it started affecting... The suburbs. The suburbs, exactly. It didn't matter if it was poor people in the, you know, uh, in urban areas, that whatever race they were. You yeah. know, if they were dying from opioids, well, that's their own problem. But it was when, you know, kids of rich, affluent parents 
started overdosing on opioids. It's like, oh my God, this is an epidemic. We need to solve this crisis. Like, okay, first off, spend more freaking time with your kids and less time with your damn money. And like, (laughs) we can't just care about things when it impacts the people that look like us, you know, or like the. But but in contrast, we should, but we should also consider how the, because I, I, I have to do life with this particular problem. Sure. What does that mean for other people? Yeah. If we if we lose empathy, then we're we're going down a dark path. I it's so, yeah. More specifically, we can't only have empathy when it uh, when it happens to people who look like us. I think is what is more what I'm. It, it's perfectly fine to have empathy <laughs> yeah. in that situation, but it can't be the only time that you have it. Right. Now we're we're like we're barreling over. We're like yeah. Let's get resource center after resource. Let's come up with some really stupid ideas like. Let's have a safe drug place where people can do drugs. Yeah. Like, yo, that's that's not solving the problem. Right. Like, let's figure out what the root cause is. Yeah. It was, you know, you know the same thing um, because this really like the whole opioid crisis came at the after heroin and all of that had started to bubble up again. And what a lot of it is, I mean, is that the drug manufacturers both legal and illegal, realize that, hey, people are going to be taking a lot of these opioids now that we're pushing doctors to prescribe them. And then when they're off of it, they're going to need something. And so let me go make some opioids over here that I can sell to people. Like that's that's ultimately if they they recognize that they were creating a demand simply by giving all these people freaking prescription drugs like. We have a jacked up system because shows like Breaking Bad. Well, everybody's on that crap. Right. Right. And And everybody's like, man, I want to make crystal meth <laughs> i've never once i know right i never once watched that show i refuse to like pretend like that's okay and the bad guy is now the good guy and you put that show in like freaking the bronx and change the character's name to like i don't know jerome or david yeah that's all that's a it's a different show yeah it's a completely different show nobody's rooting for the bad guy you put you put a white guy in the middle of oklahoma wherever that show's taking place he's like yo a teacher He's so he's so spot on. He's not. He's man. You 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 build this environment where you start to like turn the villains into a hero. Well, it's the whole anti-hero thing, right? Yeah, you you wonder what happens. But it's. I feel like to some degree, it's kind of a natural evolution of storytelling, because you can't right. We we to some degree. You can only tell the same story so many different times in so many different ways. And so it becomes edgy, right, to have somebody who's not this perfect Superman type, you know, Lone Ranger, always does the right thing, you know, has never once jaywalked or, you know, whatever, than it is to to have this guy who has flaws. And that, you know, I think we connect as people because we're all flawed individuals. And so it's easier to connect with somebody else who's flawed than it is to sit there and watch this perfect, you know, human being do all these great things. But ultimately like you get to this point now where it's like, they're not even anti-heroes. They are just villains, you know, like Walter White is not a hero in any way, shape or form. If, cause I watched the first few seasons, I'd, I'd never made it through the final, but like that was the weird thing about that show was the more I watched it, the less I actually wanted to watch it. Because yeah. the guy that they were portraying, I'm like, this dude's a freaking dick. Like, and he doesn't care about anybody except himself at this point. So, like, 
what is the there is no redeeming factor here like originally he had a reason and there was like a purpose behind all this and you could kind of understand where he would get into it but then it's like he just went down that dark path and it was there was no coming back i was like okay well why do i care about this guy anymore? like what am i watching for just to watch somebody you know like basically downward spiral like is that what's entertainment for us these days? Is that what people want to watch? Is other people go through just the worst parts of life on television? Like, I I don't know, man. I, I have such a hard time bringing myself to actually watch that kind of stuff. Like, life is sad and depressing in its own right. I don't need movies to tell me that it's even worse than I think it is. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I, I, um, I don't know. Like, I, I think that, I think our, our election is going to be, it's going to be huge. Um, yeah, it's, it's I, going to be interesting. That's for sure. I, I want to actually say I was very impressed. I watched the uh, the Senate tr- or the the impeachment the trial. trial. The impeachment trials are wrapping things up. Yeah, and they kept showing Mitt Romney. They showed Mitt Romney and a couple other people. And I'll be honest, I'm like I like Mitt Romney. Um, and I was hope I was like, yo, is he going to vote for this guy to be acquitted? Then Marco Rubio. I used to like Marco Rubio. And I was like, yo, is he like when I started seeing these faces, I'm like, these are guys I thought were stand up guys and they had values and whatever. The only one that said the test was freaking, freaking Mitt Romney. Yep. Rubio, psh, yo, dude, like you had a you had a hope and you had a future of like being a, a politician people could actually believe in. Not you sold yourself out. Um, and for me, it's like if people are really paying attention, like stop, stop with the flyby, like opinions of politics yes it's very you know i believe there are two things you can do you can either run for office or vote with your conscience and if people can't decide which one of those are they're capable of doing and are going to commit to that then shut up like please shut up i'm tired of hearing about people oh well this party does this this no no go down to the facts and like really ask yourself when you know if leadership is what you do when nobody else is looking i think people like mitt romney are great leaders like when nobody was actually he made everybody like he decided what he was going to do when nobody was looking yeah i mean he could have very easily decided i mean because it wouldn't have mattered ultimately right like it didn't matter which way he voted yep and yet so he could have very easily said look this isn't what i want to do but i know that i need to play by party rules which is exactly what marco rubio did (laughs) right he was sitting there going well i gotta play by party rules because the party doesn't want us to impeach trump and so no matter what I think, like I, if I want to be a Republican politician in the future, this is my best chance. And I agree with you. Like, I think he did way more to damage his own reputation and political future by voting the way that he did than than he helped it. But yep. that's that's part of the issue with the whole two party system and the fact that we have these these people who aren't even elected to office who run the political parties. We have a two party system because we continue to allow it to be a reality. Yes, we are not. We are not locked in a stone. No, not not at all. Like this can change immediately. <laughs> I am totally. I'm calling like Ross Perot 2.0 on this election. I think that we're going to have a Tom Steyer, Bloomberg, Andrew Yang situation where one of those three are going to be the future Ross Perot. And you, pro- you're probably, you're alive. I know who Ross want. Perot was. Did you, you weren't voting when he, be, like, no, I wasn't voting, vote. but my parents were. And I remember, I mean, cause that was the one that, uh, Bush lost to Clinton, right? Yep. Yeah. And I, I, I'll tell you this as a person that voted for Bill Clinton twice and I'm still pissed about it. Yep. Ross Perot was right. 
everything that he said was going to happen, unfortunately happened to our country. And nobody took that person seriously. Although he was, he was kind of a funny looking dude, Yeah. but he was freaking right. He was somebody that was looking at the situation that our country was entering very objectively. Well, um, and, I mean, the only thing that makes sense then is Jerry Jones, 2020. <laughs> Good Lord. I, I don't know. I, I I think that if people really there there's a possibility of Bernie Sanders getting not or actually gaining more steam, but not the nomination. Yeah. I do think that the DNC has already decided on Joe Biden. They're just waiting to see what happens in New Hampshire. Which is the same mistake I, they made last time, but I'll I'll sit here and watch them make it again. Predetermining who well, who they think is gonna win the election. You know? Right. Like that's but that's the whole political would, game that you play with those. I would have voted for Joe Biden last time around. I would never vote for Hillary Clinton. That would never be a thought in my mind. If they would have elected somebody else other than Hillary Clinton, I would have voted for her. So what Once you're saying is that Joe Biden does have the African-American vote. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well played, sir. If it comes down to Hillary or, or Joe, uh, yeah, Biden, yeah. <laughs> keep it on hunting. Like, like that would have totally happened. I'm like, yeah, that's my boy right now. Yeah. Um, but, but, but I, that's, you know, I mean, I totally agree that four years ago, like, yeah, he probably did have way more of the African-American vote behind him than he does now. But oh yeah, like four years later, everybody. Uh, nah, nah. Wait, who are you again? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not down with that dude like that. Yeah. It's it's it is what it is. I mean, it's just one of those things where um, I don't know. I I hope the country does some homework, and I, I know that politics is a it's a divisive thing in our society right now. Yeah. But if people like Trevor Noah said it the the funniest way, like after the president was acquitted, he said, "Don't boo, vote." Like I was like, "Yo, that is so true." You you have two options, man. Like you either vote or shut up or run for office yeah um and if we as citizens are tired of like where we are as a country and i'm not saying andre powell is not running for office anytime soon i would love to like but i don't want people like harping on my past yeah. <laughs> like because you know like i think that's my biggest like my biggest reservation is like i just don't want people like wondering why like, you did this i, I did i would totally <laughs> tell congress yo that is the dumbest thing i ever heard shut up like we're not doing it. <laughs> i have I sat mean, in meetings where you have literally used those exact same <laughs> words i mean i would i would have no problem being like we're not that's getting vetoed don't ever don't ever bring that to my office again um <laughs> <laughs> don't apologize just change the behavior change the behavior <laughs> i mean I would, if you think Trump says what he's thinking, I would totally say what I'm thinking. Like, you guys are retarded for that. Like, don't ever do that again. All right. So like, then the we... only real answer is Powell Smith 2020. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there are some, I mean, there's some bogus things happening in our country. I mean, they're bogus. Yeah. Um, so anyway, like, I think I've, I haven't beaten that dead horse until the election happens or until we, so New Hampshire's happening tonight. Yep. I'm excited about that. Cooking. 
I do want to talk about like the vegan, um, like some of the challenges and obstacles that we're like vegans are going to have in this country. Like one thing being uh, Burger King. Burger King, which is a company, like yeah. I'm surprised they're still in business. They had this whole vegan whopper, and I read this article uh, of some somewhat I, I would guess open-minded people that said you know my biggest, biggest concern with fast food companies starting down the vegan trail is that how do we know they're not cooking the vegan products in the same grills as the literally you and i had that exact same conversation i think on one of these episodes where i because i said this thing is like if if restaurants are going to move to that you have to have separate cooking stations for that stuff you can't prep those things in the same area because ultimately you're just developing a bunch of cross contamination yeah i i am so i'm curious to see like what happens with the plant-based movement because i think it's actually a thing and mm -hmm. the reason why i can stand behind it is because i am a card carrying steak eater by just since birth yeah um but i'm totally sold on the fact that it's and for me it's more of a i don't agree with industrial farming right i'm so, i'm 100 behind you on that that's a that's a big part of the reason that i've made the switch to a plant-based diet as well is that just the the industrial farming and agriculture and the impact that it has on like our quality of life <laughs> not to mention the, yeah. the animals and stuff and their horrible qualities of life but um yeah, you know, it's funny because I would, it's, it's, I, you would probably, I, I know you don't, you haven't done maybe as much traveling as I have recently since I switched, but it's hard when you're out eating and you go, you know, you're with other people who aren't plant based in their diet and they're like, oh, let's go to this restaurant. And you're like, all right, cool. And then you get there and you're like, literally everything on this menu has some sort of animal product in it. You know, like even the salad has like, like ranch dressing, which I mean, you can usually get something else. But I mean, when I was traveling for business, like I was sitting there eating salads and French fries for almost every meal because they were the two things that I knew. And like people were laughing at me like, oh, French fries. Yeah, that's vegan. I was like, they are. I understand this isn't healthy. Like I, this is not my ideal meal. This is not what I came here to right. eat, but you guys picked this place. So I'm trying to find something that I can actually consume. Um, Fortunately, you know, we were out in Denver and there's a couple of spots that had uh, at least plant based portions of their menus. But I thought it was really interesting because one of them is a very nice restaurant. I got uh, they had like a, you know, an impossible or beyond burger or something like that. Delicious burger. Uh, pretty sure it had regular mayonnaise on it. <laughs> and I was just kind of like I took a bite and I'm like, that tastes like real mayonnaise, not vegan mayo awesome <laughs> and so it's like those kinds of things where even where you go somewhere and you think that you know you're getting something that is completely plant-based like not everybody understands and it's just frustrating because i don't it's not even that like i hold it against people or i blame them for not understanding but it's like i want to be able to go out and eat some places <laughs> and i don't i don't want it to only be the uh you know vegan community kitchen in apex <laughs> as much as i love that spot yeah. And we should go there later I, this week for lunch, but I totally went there like a week and a half ago. Like I'm super hooked. Here's my thing though, and I think that probably you know people that are that have a much greater reach than we do should probably make this point. If if we got rid of industrial like farming, I don't think we would have people that are vegans. If I'm being honest, like if I'm being completely honest, if that. If we figure out a way to, number one, I don't think meat is bad. I just think that what the way we're growing or we're raising our, our meat products is bad. 
I think that's the helpless. Yeah. If we figured a way, to, I'd rather pay more money for a stake. If a stake was thirty dollars, but I was insured it wasn't industrial farm, I'd be happy with that. Like so, I really would. I wouldn't be worried about the potential bad of. I would eat less meat. Yeah. I would probably eat meat or reintroduce meat into my diet, but eat less of it. So it was interesting. But I'd be happy paying thirty dollars for one stick. Yeah, I was watching a documentary last night um, called Saving Jaws, and it's all about sharks. Uh, and I, I mean, I've since I saw the movie Jaws, have been terrified of sharks and deep waters and stuff like that. Starting to come around a little bit more uh, as I find the more I educate myself about the things that I'm afraid of, the less afraid of them I become. The same thing was right. with spiders. I used to be terrified of spiders until one day I ran into one in the backyard, and for some reason I was just like, I want to find out what kind of spider that was that I just killed. And I'm like, Oh, that was actually one of the best spiders that I could have had in my yard. Now I feel like a dick. Um, <laughs> but it was just, what, what was interesting to me was, I mean, all the media and everything, the shark fishing, which in a lot of places has been outlawed or made illegal. Um, right. But the practice that they do where they catch these sharks, they cut off their fin and then they throw the rest of the shark back into the water to drown, to basically suffocate because he can't move. Right. And I'm just sitting there going like, what the hell is wrong with you people? That is a living. And that's the way that the industrialized food industry works is that there is no care or concern for the overall well-being of these animals. And I understand that they're they're viewed as a food source. They are not only a food source, right? Like they, they are living creatures like that have feelings and, and understand pain. Like why we do these things is just beyond me. And uh, yeah, so it was just it was really upsetting watching some of that. But it, it reminded me of so much of like, you know, you think about back to like, uh, you know, Native Americans and stuff like that when they would hunt, say, the buffalo right, or a deer right. and they would use every last piece of that animal. And there was a level of respect with which that was done. And I think that's what is missing from the our current agriculture. There is no respect for these animals there's no respect for the gift that they are giving of their life for us to be able to have food if that's how you so choose to consume food and I, that's and, that's what really frustrates me and that's 100 percent of what i agree with I, I don't think that anybody well and it's not some hippie like flowery type of statement if we got rid of industrialized farming i don't think we'd be having these conversations there's no reason on this earth that we need to have 20,000 chickens in a hen house. There's no reason why we should have a farmer should have 40,000 cows or whatever that that number is. I there was this one documentary I watched like that's a lot of cows. Yeah. Like you really can't be like raising those cows healthy in that environment. No. So if we scaled back, it would bring some integrity back to the 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 industry which is farming. If we scaled back, it would bring some integrity back to the the food that we actually eat. And again, I'm all about people making money. I'm not yeah. hating on anybody, but do it with some type of like ethics. Yeah. Like you don't need to make, I mean, there's, there's no reason for the things that we do and the way we justify it in our minds. Like it just doesn't make sense. Nope. Um, I mean, it's, uh, you know, a lot of the same stuff we talked about before with like, um, you know, the different lobbying groups. Right. And, it, and again, I'm not, I don't want to begrudge these, or I, I don't want to tell people you can't go out and make money because that's, uh, everybody has the right to be able to do that. But yeah, like there's a certain level of, of ethics that needs to come along with it. Oh, what's up? <laughs>
put ourselves in a precarious position when we when we do things just to grow like when we grow for no apparent reason and we don't think about the consequences we end up with the, the crap storm that we're currently in yeah and whether that's you know whether that is capitalism where you we have this distorted view of a financial stability we have this it's just we need to like push the brakes man we need to like step back a little bit and i and i tell you what i am not some i i'm not a quote-unquote hippie no but, uh, just to be clear andre powell is as far from a quote-unquote hippie as <laughs> just about anybody i've ever met like so please understand that he does not say these things lightly or with any sort of flowery you know uh vision or rose-colored glasses <laughs> yeah i mean real is real and like when we're doing like if we have lost our sense of right and wrong and we consciously go down that path what the hell do you expect is going to happen at the end of the road yeah like and i and i'll i'll keep it real like there are things i've done things in my when i was younger where it's like yo if i continue down this road i'm either going to end up locked up or dead and consciously i can't i can't expect anything different so as a society if we are so full of ourselves that we think that things have no consequence our actions amongst each other our actions in our environment we are we deserve the outcome yep and i i just i find it hard to believe that you know is as woke as and i hate that word as woke as people think they are they're 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 stupid well like just yeah no i mean you're not you're not wrong unfortunately um and i wonder to some degree you know like are we getting is, has it gotten to a point where we feel like our impact on society has been diminished because of the growth right like because of this global economy that we kind of live in right where we we have news coming around from all the different points of the world and we see what's kind of going on that that we start to feel so insignificant in our own lives. We feel like even if we did step outside of our comfort zone to do something to try and make an impact that ultimately it wouldn't lead to it. I'm not saying that's the right attitude, but I wonder if that's part of what's starting to set in with people where you become, we talked about it before where you become so inwardly focused on me and mine and what I get and what I need that it's not, I start, I don't think as much about what my neighbor's doing, whether he has, you know, electricity and food and clothing to keep himself warm in the winter. Like, I don't know. It's. Well, I don't want to get like preachy. Yeah. But I, I will say that like um, when, when a moral fiber starts to separate from a society, I mean, look at Rome, look at Egypt, look at, look at the Middle East still like they're still killing each other like for the sake of like feuds way before the people that are alive are alive. Right. Yeah. So I think the moral fiber, and this is not Andre getting preachy. It's like, what do you expect to happen next? It, it's, it's not, you can only go so far with your own conscience. That's probably warped and influenced by everything else. And you decide to stop deciding what's right and wrong based on something that outside of your own selfish desire you're only going to get so far with that. Yeah. You can only, you can literally only go that far. As far as your conscience is, is wired to understand the true difference between right and wrong is as far as you will go. And I've, you've heard me say this before, and I will say it until the day I die. 
if you continue to take opportunity away from people, don't be surprised at the outcome. Like opportunity, like the, the fundamental right to be able to seize and chase opportunity. When you take that away from people, don't be surprised if crime goes up. Don't be surprised if people start to stop caring about their neighbor. Don't be surprised if the kids you raise start to go way off the rails. Don't, there's a lot of things you shouldn't be surprised by anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but even in, a, even in a middle class society, like think about it. Just because you have more, do you have the same opportunity afforded to you as the you know, Bernie Sanders mythical 1%? No, you don't. Right. The middle class is getting squeezed. The poor, the, the the amount of poor people is growing. The middle class is shrinking. What do you expect? I mean, then you get a Donald Trump, president. I'm sorry, a president Donald Trump. Like, it's just a. It really is a symptom of what we've created. You can't, you can't be mad at him. If I'm being honest, like right. you don't have to like what he's saying, but you can't. Be mad you at can't him. blame him for the fact that other that that the, all of the events of history that have transpired, especially recently, essentially set the stage for him to be able to do what he's doing now. You know, like right. you, you don't, if you put a baby behind the steering wheel, you don't blame the baby right. when they crash into a car or into a telephone pole. Right. Like that's the person who put him there. Ultimately his responsibility <laughs> and said, here's the keys you go drive. Right. And you figure it out. Yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, I, again, not a hippie. I, I, my, I don't, I don't have any good jokes about it. Like, if I'm being honest, it's sad as hell. It's super sad. Like, our, we've come to a place where you have to defend, if you're a religious person, you have to defend that. If you're, you have to defend sexuality, which I still, like, I don't have a dog in that fight. But why is that a conversation? Don't really care. Like, it has nothing to do with, like, the, the betterment or value that people are, are achieving in their life. Like, we have we stripped all that away to me, 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 me hive mentality around particular issues that are not freaking important yeah. if somebody can prove to me as if if 85 percent of things that i hear about were actually important i would be like yeah i'm a fool because i didn't pay attention to that that's why when people ask me about what do you think about this yeah, i don't care you know why it doesn't bring value <laughs> and ultimately has very little impact on our lives overall yeah right yeah so there there are things that we should like actually fight to um, like bring more of a more of a more attention to and i i don't know what they are in in any type of order but i do know that i am least i am not bothered by a lot of things but the things i'm starting to get bothered by are often attacked in our society and we're we are okay with making those hot buttons to bring more to you know, divisive tactics to separate people. Yeah. The, the divisiveness is what really I think bothers me, right? The point should be to get more people involved in the conversation, you know, right. not, not to point fingers and, and call people. I mean, like <laughs> part of this whole discussion is around labels, right? And yet the people who are upset with labels are often the ones who are hurling labels at other people. <laughs> It right? you're racist you're a fascist you're whatever it is that's a label and it's it really ultimately has no difference really like it, it doesn't really there is no difference between that and the other things that you're upset about in in, right. a, in a certain sense um yeah, but it, it's it's mind-blowing it's like wow and 
I just want to I want to attack the word woke real quick <laughs> because that is the dumbest freaking word that keeps getting thrown around. It's like, what are you talking about? You're you're woke to social problems. You're which you literally are, like means I know it's happening. It doesn't mean I'm doing I'm anything about yeah. it. It doesn't mean that yeah. I'm you know for like social change to see like these things get fixed. It just means no, I know that that's going on. I'm woke. I've acknowledged man. it. Yeah. yeah, I acknowledge it. Yeah, okay. Like, so what were you doing before? <laughs> like, oh, you're just part of the problem. The first step is admitting like, you have a problem, right? <laughs> gosh, it just it, that word just shows the the ignorance that people have by choice. And up until a few years ago, I thought the word ignorant because in my culture, if you call somebody ignorant, yes, like those are fighting words. Yeah, you're that's not, that's like, that's something. not a term you throw around lightly. Yeah, it's like yeah, something bad's about to happen to this dude because he just called your boy ignorant. But now I can appreciate the real definition of the word. I am unknowledgeable of a situation, right? Right, and and that's layman's terms. And when I can admit, like I can be ignorant about something, and I'm okay with admitting that. Now, okay, I'm ignorant about X. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I, will, if it's important to me, I will make waves to to try to figure out and understand more about it. Right, you will educate would, yourself. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'm, I'm so like the whole woke thing is just like it's admitting ignorance, or any like, like I, I don't have a lot of good like so. Well, maybe that's not true. I can be socially like rough around the edges, and it's because I don't like BS. Doesn't mean that I ignore the fact that I may say something or my views may be different from others that may make them uncomfortable. But I really, truly want to understand their point of view as much as I want them to understand mine. Right. Woke is a complete opposite to that. It's like I'm watching stuff burn down. And then, oh, one day because something important, like somebody told me it was important and I pay attention to it. Yeah. Get out of here. I think that is the (laughs) dumbest word. And if people call themselves woke or a whole generation can call themselves woke, they need to really like go and evaluate their own lives. That's, That's what I think. I'm woke. You shut up. <laughs> woke. It's like a last last hack at woke is the white male privilege article like on uh, uh, Mayor Pete. You know what? First of all, like that white male privilege and people being so woke to say that that's actually a thing. White male privilege. Here's the reality of what privilege is in my mind. It's like. No, you just have op- more opportunities than others to do something. Mm-hmm. How you choose to use that opportunity, bad or good, is indifferent. Like I'm indifferent to. Like, but you've decided to do that, because I could take the same thing and say, well, white females have more privilege than other people because they do. Yeah. But I don't really care. It means you have opportunity to do something. What are you choosing to do? Like, what what is your real platform? What do you really stand? What who are you when the doors are closed and lights are off? Like, can you look that person? Well, you can't in the dark, but can you look that person in the mirror? <laughs> Is it? I mean, that's, it's like, I think I'm looking yeah. at myself in the mirror, but I can't really tell. Yeah. Lights are off. <laughs> I mean, the privilege thing is like, no, some people, they do have the establishment has made it. So that's just people, life. Not, right. Yeah. I mean, like you to, to some degree, right. Being born in America is a privilege. Versus being born somewhere else. Yeah. Right? Like, I, so, yeah, like, I am I am privileged. I understand that. <laughs> but I think you're absolutely right. It's 
what do you do with that opportunity? It, it doesn't, you know, it's not so much. It, yeah. You can sit there and just piss it away if you want. Right. right? And then, yeah, you're like you. But <laughs> it's like if you actually do something with that opportunity to make a change, to try and better not only your own life, but those of the lives of the people around you, like then that privilege wasn't wasted. It wasn't wasted. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I, I have more privilege than my grandparents did that fought for civil rights. My, I have more privilege than my mom did that went to a segregated school. And if I don't do anything with that, then I'm an idiot. Yeah. So just because I, I, I wasn't I saying, yeah, you're an idiot. I just, yeah. <laughs> my, my point. Yeah. I say that to say this. It's like, until we can stop separating, like we're separating people. Like, do I agree that the civil rights movement is not over? I, 100% agree. Like, I think that we've actually, we, we we're resting on our laurels and the work oh, that Martin Luther time. King and Rosa Parks and many others, Martin, you know, Malcolm X have done. We're not doing much more to further that because we got to a point where it's like, yeah, well, my kids can go to the same school as a white kid. That wasn't the only issue. And then, but a big part of it is education, right? Like I think it, cause we've talked about a lot, like it comes back to education and I was up in Washington DC last year, um, trying to get my visa to go to China. I had a couple of days where I didn't have any work to do. I was just waiting for them to finish my application. So I went to the, uh, national African American history museum. There right. were things that I learned in the three hours I walked through that museum that I'd literally never heard or seen in a textbook before. You know, like parts, things that were so in, instrumental in the development and progress that was made in this country to where we are today. And yet not once was the subject even broached in a classroom where I was because being taught about the, the history of our country. It, so when we this is a I'm probably going to get a lot of hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> when we have to take the time to separate. African American history from American history, you shouldn't expect anything different. That is just another tool of said establishment yep. to rosy up and pretty up the the speed bumps in our history. Is I'm that not, not like the definition of separate but equal, right? Like, yeah. oh well you can have your own museum over here to, you know, commemorate your history, but we don't want it in our museum over here. I mean, I my I'm okay with like if we're going to talk about history, let's talk about the whole picture, yeah. right? What do we do to the Native Americans? What, what do we do? Like, we don't talk about that. What do oh, we do? God, no. <laughs> the whole thing is pitched like, hey, we showed up. They wanted to help us. We were like, cool. And they were like, hey, can we have some more land? And they're like, yeah, we'll just move over here. Hey, can we have some more land? Yeah, we'll just move a little farther over here. Hey, we're just going to take the rest of that. Is that cool? Yeah, can we just have some reservations set up where we could do, like, gambling and stuff? Yeah, no problem. We'll allow that. Awesome. Thanks. You guys are the best. Like, that's literally the story that is told in American history books. Like, what are we yeah. doing? <laughs> So it's not, I mean, it's, it's, it's like, we have gotten to a point where we talk like we are, we've not arrived. We've not arrived. And I I will tell, I was from my black eyes in this country, we are way, way, if we think that it was done in the sixties and the seventies, we're fooling ourselves. We are absolutely fooling ourselves. If we want to get some level of parity and this like I firm like black people need to learn how to like and and fight for creating their own businesses. Period. Like until we're not going to get parity being the employee all the time. Right. Like period. We don't have a voice at the table being the employee. I don't want to be the best employee. 
And I'm not saying I don't want to work with white people. I'm saying like, it's not going to change until people talk about Andre Powell in the same conversation. Talk about Bill Gates. Right. Period. There, it's never going to change until there's an Andre Powell or uh, whoever else it may be in the same conversations as Elon Musk. Yeah. And if you think I'm joking, if we continue to limit the success of black people to sports and entertainment, and that's the only time the best basketball player, Michael Jordan. Awesome. That's, that's great. That's a great achievement. But who is somebody that is a leader in industry that has a voice that's not about partisan, you know, partisan tactics, but about helping people to develop like then we're, we're having the same old conversations. Like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, America. Racism is still a thing. There's still a lot of work to do. I'm not saying it has to be bloodied in the street type of crazy stuff. It's just like the, the focus, sh- the focus shift should be until there are Andre Powell's or whoever else it may be that are in the conversation of great leaders in this country, like Colin Powell was mentioned until he retired from public life until there are more cult, like, and we do share the same last name, but not, we're not related, but until that, those are the conversations don't expect anything different. And I, and, and that means sometimes you're not buying Nikes. Maybe it's sometimes you're going out to support the growth and development of other companies that are trying to, for the betterment of a group of people exist. Yeah. It's, it always blows my mind when you go to Chinatown or you go to like Asian American, like, um, like neighborhoods, Yo, dudes are spending money in their neighborhoods, right? When you like, when you go by a, Jew, a Jewish uh, youth development center, hey, they're they're equipping their kids to be successful in this environment. I mean, you go to Koreatown, same thing. You go to Hispanic neighborhoods, same thing. People spend money in their neighborhoods. I'm just saying, like, if I had a choice between spending money in my neighborhood and not, I'm more than I'm more apt to spend money in my neighborhood because I believe that. The only way we're going to like get to another level of parity, and it's not saying one is better than the other, yeah. is that the conversation shift from when I think of great business leaders, it's not just Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, blah blah, and and Jeff yeah, Bezos. because I'm technology, yeah, I yeah. know, right? Because I'm into technology, those names come up, but there's actually a, a real estate developer in Florida who's also a political um, advisor his last name is Powell I can't think of his name right now but we all have the same last name <laughs> my point being until until other people's names start to be part of those conversations that's just a reflection on where we are as a society yeah no I wholeheartedly agree um, but I do want to provide my white perspective on no I'm just kidding that's <laughs> No, you're not. I mean, I I do agree with you that I think, you know, we're we're at a point where when you talk about leaders and visionaries and that sort of thing, like it is a, you know, a white male that is most typically going to be thought of. It's not it's not anybody else. Um, and so, I, I mean, and, and I have thought, you know, was it a few years ago that they uh, like rolled back some of the, you know, civil rights um, stuff, right? Like, feel like, oh no we're we're fine we fixed racism we don't need these civil rights you know laws anymore and it's like um what on earth gives you that impression <laughs> like, do you see what's going on around us and and that's where i think you know i get 
I get frustrated because I'd like to see more progress faster. Um, but you know, I mean, uh, I've probably made more progress in my, you know, education around race and relations within America over the last five years, 10 years than I did over the previous 25. You know, I mean, I grew up in Northern California in a predominantly white town, went to a predominantly white schools. Uh, even when I moved to North Carolina, like the suburb we moved to outside of Greensboro, almost all white kids, like right. that's just how it was. Um, you know, and even uh, going to NC state, like <laughs> predominantly white kids. Um, so, I mean, really, like, I didn't have, you know, I don't think it was done intentionally, but it just, I never really had a lot of opportunity to interact with people from other races, except in small quantities, you know, um, when they happened to be where I was. I, I mean, I've said this before, when I lived in Europe, they didn't call me, well, actually, they always <laughs> referred to me as an American, but since it was the 80s and breakdancing was hot, people always asked me if I could breakdance. Yeah. So, I get <laughs> Now, can you break dance? Not anymore. I'm I'm getting too old to be doing that. But stuff. you could at the time. <laughs> I could at the time. But you didn't so, want to admit that. <laughs> <laughs> the association of the, of the media and like how our culture, like our culture, is. I, I'm I'm not saying like like our culture shouldn't be known for entertainment. I just think it's kind of limiting with the abilities of what's in our culture. There yeah. are black and there are black engineers. There are black uh, astrophysicists. There are uh, black, you know, doctors, other things. right? Like, yeah. I, mean, I know Ben Carson's not like the best example, but like, the, I mean, the dude was in, an incredibly skilled yeah. doctor, right? Like maybe not yeah. the greatest political candidate, but was a very skilled doctor. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to take that away from dude, exactly. but it's like, I mean, you, yeah, I don't know where your I don't know where your head's at with that stuff. I mean, no, but you're absolutely right. I mean, I think you know, and if you, I think if you look at it right, the going back to the 1800s or whenever. I mean, around the time that the country was founded, when slavery was still big. I mean, like athletics and entertainment were two things that you know African Americans were basically. Oh, yeah, of course they're going to be good at that, right? Like. And so the fact that those are still two areas in the modern world where it's like, you know, I don't even want to say allowed, but it's kind of, I mean, you know what I mean? It's like, those are the areas where people get steered towards. It's like, you're athletically gifted. So go be an athlete. You know, you can sing, go be a singer, but those are your two ways that you're going to become, you know, like something in this world. Well, you, I mean, and yeah, but you, you have white kids where their parents are telling them, or Indian kids or Asian kids, like, go be a doctor, go be a, be a lawyer, right? Yeah. So that's the same conversations happen in our communities. It's just that we're not, I mean, we're going to get more obstacles to, to reach those those heights. And I'm not saying if you're a good athlete, don't take advantage of that time. Right. For the love of God, can we stop acting like, Unless I'm rhyming or you know kicking out some bars, I'm not. There's no value to what I do, um, and that's that's a bigger conversation. I don't know how that changes, but I can tell you that, and I've been trying to find a, um, some more in-depth like books on on MLK. But I do know for a fact that that wasn't all. His message wasn't just one of like going to school with white kids. It was about no, let's really up our game. So 
I want to understand his point of view and understand where that message got lost over the last two generations and what, you know, what can I do to like influence my kids to, 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 to do more? What can I do to influence my community to look at it a different way? You know, what can I do to spark the conversation in my circle of influence? Because, and you're right. And, and Chris, you, you probably did grow up in a pretty um, Wonder Bread type of world. Very much. But, but there's nothing wrong with that. Right. You know, like, it's just a matter of, like, are you willing to go beyond the superficial woke status and really do something different for yourself, your family, and your community? Yeah. Like, we're not going to, we're not going to change the, the outlook until we realize it's not about acknowledging it all the time it's not about placing blame or you know making another group of oh that's just the white privileged male or that's just the white privileged woman that doesn't solve anything right like we are we are all equally flawed in our ability to be like good human beings addressing what we can grasp doesn't solve the problem taking time to dig into and not just for intellectual pursuit but taking time to dig in and say well you know what this is wrong let's change it you know example would be like like you said about the american uh, african american history museum i'm not saying like that's a bad thing i'm right. saying like okay we can totally acknowledge it and totally you know educate people more but what do we do about it long term so people that may not have the opportunity to visit this place can learn more a more holistic view of of history yeah um it's not okay that the only time we talk about like nationally african americans is february. during february <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's like why can't we incorporate that into our entire history well and why um, isn't there a white history month because you have the uh, other i'm months just joking year. just to be very clear that was incredibly sarcastic i know <laughs> <laughs> you guys have got books all over it like your history is totally no i know it's but yeah i mean like i, mean, I would have much rather seen them right expand or rearrange the the smith the american history smithsonian to incorporate that stuff as opposed to having them go build something separate i think that i mean and like you said like i i it's it's a it's kind of a double-sided thing like it's it's interesting to me because it's like for me personally, it was great to have one place that I could go and learn all of those things that I've never learned before. Um, and I think, you know, as important as that is to our country and our cultural identity, like we have to, to have those things to be able to, to look back on. But I, I wish that, right. We were further along in this country to the point where that was just viewed as part of all of our history and not, right. not the history and for some and not the history for others, which is the way that it, I, that's the part, that's the part you're wrestling with. And that's like a forward thinking that, you know, that's beyond the, the woke um, like cliche that people use when you can actually see that, that, you know, when you can value the differences between people, you're probably doing a much better thing for your society. Right. Yeah, the whole uh, like I don't I, see color, right? Like, oh no, everybody's the same to me. No, that's you're a damn lie. If yeah. anybody says to me, I'm like, you're lying. Like <laughs> you, you are straight up lying. Exactly. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. It, it's about recognizing the values in other people and not judging them based off of their differences, right? Like, I think that's. I mean, I I see color. I see cultural differences. Yeah. I'm sometimes uncomfortable with those differences, but I can also address that good example is like uh people from africa 
and black Americans, we have beef. We have unwritten beef for some unknown reason, right? And I work with a lady that was from um, Senegal. And she used to give me, like, just straight up stress. <laughs> like, I, I knew that whenever I had to work with them, like, yeah, here we go. This is not going to be and good. One day, yeah. One day I was just like, can you tell me what's wrong? And she goes, what do you mean? I said, you know what I mean. Like, every time I say something to you, it's it's like we're going to, we're about to start fighting. You know what she told me? And, it, like, it, it made me, like, really appreciate the fact that I'm okay with just being like, yeah, I don't get it. Help me out. She says, the issue that we have with you, and this is a, a life-changing moment, is that we feel like you guys don't respect your heritage. And that was pretty dope. I was like, okay, but do you understand we don't know our heritage? Right. Like, do you understand the the reality is if I did like a, you know, looked up my ancestry, I could probably go back a couple branches and then we get lost. We don't know. We don't know. Like, I couldn't tell you if, if my ancestors are from Eastern Africa or Western Africa. Right. I couldn't tell you if, you know, I can tell you because I'm light skinned, apparently somebody was doing some other, some other stuff around the house, <laughs> but I couldn't tell you where my ancestors come from. Right. And that was huge for me because I respect the fact that my ancestors, most of them come from Africa. I couldn't tell you from where. So we, what people see of black people in America oftentimes is from the media. Mm -hmm. It's from our music. It's from like how we're portrayed in movies. So our global presence isn't that one of, you know, isn't one of pride and, and, you know, we can be successful without selling drugs. We can be successful without being in sports. We can be successful without, you know, being in entertainment. That's, that's jacked up, right? So for me, it's just like, yo, I, I get that. And I appreciate people wanting to be woke, but you guys, let's, let's stop with the BS of, you know, oh, we're, we're, we're not changing. We're, we haven't changed. <laughs> we, we're not willing to do the work to really get down to the issue. It's it's the same symptoms as to why there are so many uh, like white nationalist groups on the rise in the, in the country. We've separ we separated things so much where people are just like, and I'm not I'm not okay in racism. I'm I understand why they're showing up. Right. It's because we keep marginalizing people's experiences and their what they feel is important for them and their family not excusing it i'm just saying like it totally makes sense yeah like when when people keep saying well white male privilege and white pe white men are bad and yo you know what you're doing you're fueling the fire for some more white nationalists to, to pop up because there's nothing wrong inherently of being white no you can't choose. no no and there's yeah you're, you're absolutely right um i will i will try to stop using <laughs> white privilege <laughs> no i know but it's but you're absolutely right i mean there's nothing there's nothing inherently wrong with being white um or male right like i'm a white male uh i think i'm yeah. an okay guy <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to defend yourself <laughs> no it's not not even trying to defend myself no you're but you're right like yeah it's and, and i that it's that forward thinking view that I think kind of trips me up sometimes because I want us to just get there. Like I want, I want to just be in that place where it's not 
you know, this kind of kind of like un- constant undertone of a lot of the conversations that are going on. But I know that, I mean, that won't happen in my lifetime. Like, I understand that. More than anything, I want to try and set the stage so that maybe, you know, our kids' generation or the one after that is able to make that step or, or we're probably, continue to make we're probably, progress. We're probably two or three generations from racism not being such a heavy topic in this country. Because that's when everybody will just be the same color. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, if you think, I mean, we, well, it's, well, there are more interracial kids in the last uh, generation. Than yeah, but last... I mean, two or three generations isn't going to do that. <laughs> Oh, Unless no, the coronavirus man. gets really excited, like really quickly. Here. <laughs> my, my point being is, that, and you're right, it's the forward thinking, but we have to be willing to do the work. We have to be willing to have, if we, if we keep having these half truth conversations, we're doing more harm than good. Yeah. And I am not naive to believe that racism is dead. I, but I am hopeful to believe that people are willing to do the work. Yeah. When we get stuck on this, like, superficial statement of oh i'm woke you're just acknowledging the problem and you're only acknowledging the problem because you want to be in the another group well that group is not helping anything you're not going to if we can spend so much time talking about like equal pay between men and women as opposed to saying what about just equal pay for everybody yeah right then what if then we're doing something that's that's actually solving the problem it's not about men versus women. It's not acknowledge. It's not disavowing the fact that it's true. That's a fact. <laughs> but so it's not only men versus women, right? Like there are right. there are pay disparities across di- tons of different, you know, like groupings or, or or characteristics, you know, that people use to group other people. And so, yeah, like it's it's very limited in scope to sit here and say well the issue is the gender pay gap right the issue is gender pay gap no there's tons of pay gap issues and we should be working on addressing all of them there's no reason to only address one of them right like and that's the other thing i think sometimes people like, well we got to do this one and then we'll do the next one and then no just 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 make it equal like just make do what you can I'll tell you the person, the organization I'm the most disappointed on when it comes to these social issues. It's the Christian church. If I'm being 100% honest, if I, I, with my personal belief, if the Christian church actually did its job, we wouldn't be having a lot of these conversations. Like, well, yeah, no, we wouldn't. Like, if Christians were really who they want to be, who they believe they are, and who they're striving to be, if I'm being super honest, like we wouldn't be out in a lot of these conversations or we'd have the conversations, but we'd get to a solution a lot quicker than what we currently are. Do you have any thoughts as to why the the Christian church isn't more active in that conversation? Just from your perspective? My perspective, it's been since like the, uh, the early 90s where, where we, we've taken some things out of context. And we weaponize, like, we've weaponized out of context. There's a there's a, a number of things. One example would be like prayer, you know, prayer in church. Mm-hmm. So we we lost that battle. Not that we were trying to, not that the Christian church was trying to convert people. It's just that it's just lost the battle, right? But 
then if you watch early 2000s we put a lot of other things in that in place of that where we're it's like oh well we we want religious freedom so if a, if a child wants to wear uh you know if they're muslim and they want to do this they have to, we have to allow for that right so we said like we, and i had nothing like i had nothing it's muslim I'm just saying like if you look at the progression of how we've taken different social challenges and weaponized some things and accommodated for others there's an imbalance there so if you're being honest, if you're a Christian, if your church doesn't get in, really get involved in its community, then you're part of the problem. Like you're literally part of the problem. It's a lot easier to take your church's like resources and be a part of issues in other countries than it is to be a part. There's a lot of churches that support, and I'm not saying that's bad, but they support you know, mission efforts. And, and, yep. Yep. It's a lot easier to go abroad and fix issues there than it is to fix issues in your own country. Well, right, because that's six months, right? I'm going to go spend six or 12 months in a foreign country. It's almost going to be, I mean, I know it's not like a vacation, but it's for a lot of those people, it's all I'm out experiencing different cultures. It's very much like being on vacation, Um, you know, and then but then you come back and you don't have to you have fond memories of your time spent there, but it's not like you're living in it every single day. Right. Yeah. So I I think it's a lot easier. and, And I. I'm not, I'm, well, I'm being honest. Like I, I'm not going to try. Yeah. I, I think the Christian church in the United States has failed or is failing the, it's actual like mission. Well, I'm not saying we take, I don't think that, that we should not help in other countries. I just think that if you look at, if I look at my own back, my own backyard, there's and plenty that's of work mess. to be done there. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting though. Cause I think, you know, you make a good a good point about the weaponization of certain parts of religion, right? Like prayer in school and, and, um, you know, it, it does, it makes me wonder, right? Is that, is that a big part of the reason that the, the Christian church in particular felt, you know, in the, in, in the early nineties that, you know, they were under attack. And so for a lot, they, they just kind of regressed right back to within their own walls and said, well, we'll deal with our own stuff here where we know that we can do the things that we want to do as part of our religion. We're not going to, be as active in the community. We're not going to, you know, try and push these things, um, you know, through, through schools and whatnot. And if that's kind of, you know, it's not, not an excuse, but kind of a, you know, a factor, right? How much of a factor that has played in their maybe reluctance to get more involved in what's going on now. But I, I mean, I agree wholeheartedly with the idea that, right. Like take care of the stuff in your backyard first um, or, or at least at the same time you know, is trying to help your neighbor. It doesn't, it shouldn't always be, you know, well, I'm going to go somewhere to go do this. But when I come back, like, oh, this is just my regular life. There aren't people there that need help. There are people in everyday life that need help. You just got to look for them. I, I think both, I, I think both should be taken care of. But I think that if you, I'm not saying that, I, I would never say that, you know, it should make everybody a Christian. I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying like, if I, if I look to, you know, I've been watching a lot of documentaries and a lot of research, and some of the failures I see is basically people like even if you look at politics, Republicans are quick to say, "Oh, we're the we're the uh, the party of faith." Mm-hmm. Well, you guys do a lot of unbiblical things. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, not being honest, it's like not so much. I would I would go do a, a self evaluation and see if what you're saying actually holds up to scripture. Right. The Democrats are less, they're not a party that disavows faith, but right. they're, 
but I, I find it hard to believe that people that say they're they are people of faith do the things and say the things they do. So the the the, the my point is it's like for me as a Christian, I find it very hard to believe that you can be one without doing the other. Like you can't that there there can't be that much conflict in what you you profess as your faith in what you actually do. Yeah. I struggle. I personally struggle with that. You know, I can't tell people I'm a Christian and just start robbing banks. <laughs> it's just I just can't do that. So I, I I do place a majority. I mean, this is a country that was founded in there's in debates on this, founded on the Protestant Christian beliefs. And I'm not I'm not opening this for debate as to what certain founders were yep. said they believed and didn't believe. I'm saying the, the, the reality is it's true, you know. Played a big role in what they were deciding at the time. No, no I don't think yeah. there's really any denying that. So, I, you know, for me, it's like, well, I, honestly, guys, you know, strap up and like figure out what that means. What do you how do you do that in practice? How do how does this country and it doesn't mean you exclude people. Right. It means how do you do it in a loving way? Because Jesus wasn't the excluding type of dude. No, it's it's, so, it's more about being inclusive. You know, like how do we bring more people into the fold here, even if they're not necessarily like active members of the church? Right. Like how do we. How do we have these conversations? How do we interact with the communities around us and be more involved in that without, you know, without all the vitriol and everything that we're, that we see right now, you know, from both sides, not, not just from one, obviously. I'll, I'll tell, I mean, like I've said this very openly, I think that Mormons do a very good job of, you know, of showing their faith in public mm-hmm. and actually living their faith. Now, I don't like fundamentally, I don't agree with their theology, but if you're talking about putting your faith in action and what you believe yeah. they do a pretty good job of it mitt romney again very good example of that and his struggles with making a public decision i think christians do a lackluster job of doing that uh and that's that's across denominations <laughs> that's across theological differences and that's including and i'm not like a you know, reformists. I, I believe that the Catholic Church is part of the Christian faith. Right? So that's a denominational debate. It's not like the, the core of their faith is still Christianity. So I think across the board, Catholics would be number two in somewhat showing their faith in public and, and trying to live their values in society. But again, I, I just think religion, you know, as religious people go, in, in, in my opinion, I think the Christian church is done a piss poor job of doing the right things according to their beliefs. I think when you can associate racist to Christianity, that's a piss poor job. I think when you associate the fact that we're so dependent on government involvement when a lot of the things that we should be doing for our community should come from our communities. And if the church is supposed to be the center of that community, guess who takes the lead? Yeah. Piss poor job. So I, I think that, you know, the indictment of the of the Christian church is okay. Let's address that. Let's do a better job. Let's not. We're, uh, I don't think Christians try to browbeat people, but I think let's be a better example of as citizens in our society of what we believe in. I mean, it's like nobody watched Sister Act. <laughs> You're such an idiot. <laughs> No, and I know that this is like it's an incredible simplification of the point that you just made. But 
part of the whole story there is that you had this church that was in the center of this community and they had literally put up walls and fences around them to guard themselves from the community that they were supposed to be a part of. And it wasn't until they took down the walls and they invited the community in, regardless of what faith or, you know, that community practice, that they said, come in, be part of our church, be part of our community, that things got better. Again, very simplified, very Hollywood version of what you were describing there. But I think at its core, like it, 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 that is the message, and, right? You know, that's what people are going to remember. I know. Like, that's why I go. said it. <laughs> <laughs> that is what people are like. Yeah. Andre was talking about something that Chris brought it home with Sister X. Sister I mean, X. They went, man, now I get it. Whoopi. It's all yeah, about Whoopi. <laughs> Andre used all these words, but Chris just brought it home. But you're, you're not wrong. I mean, if you, I mean, I, my faith is, a big part of who I am and I struggle like anybody else if they're being honest with living my faith in public like I struggle but I also found out one important thing and I don't know if everybody's gonna agree with this but it's a fact for me I don't try to be two different people the person you guys are listening to right now is the same person that's going to be in public like I'm going to say the same type of stuff going to act the same type of way I tr- I can't I don't have the energy to try to be two different people so with with that acceptance of who I am, I also have to remember, like, if I say that my faith is who I am, how do I bring that in what I say and what I do? Well, it also makes me pretty honest about the fact that where I go to worship and as a whole, as a as a community, as an, like in general, not saying my particular church, but as a church as a whole has done a piss poor job of living its faith in public. And that is Andre Powell's like like honest assessments. Like, yo, there are people out there doing a good job of being Christians and trying to be inclusive the right way, not the, you know, tricky type of inclu- you know, inclusive tactics that I see a lot. You know, being firm in what you believe in but still being accepting like Jesus is like, and I'm sorry, you know, if anybody wants to tune out after I said that, that's not ashamed of that. But when you look at, when you look at the examples of Jesus, of Jesus in the Bible, he was inclusive, but not necessarily agreeing with what people were doing. Yeah. Like he wasn't sitting there telling the prostitutes continue to prostitute, but he also wasn't judging them for what they had previously done. Yeah. And that's, like, well, that's the point is that what you've done in the past doesn't necessarily define who you are and who you will be going forward. Yeah. And everybody deserves, I think, at least, you know, an opportunity at redemption. And I think that was, you know, that was one of the things that I always appreciated about, you know, the, the teachings of Jesus was that he was much more inclusive. He wanted people who maybe weren't, you know, who didn't agree with everything he said. Like he wanted to have conversations more than anything, you know, like let's talk about this. I'm glad you brought brought up the prostitute because that's like one of my go-to conversations. Like, hey, you, you know what? He literally said, "Whoever's without sin, you throw the first stone." <laughs> yeah. Like, but as far as I'm concerned, go and sin no more. So I, I think that's huge. Like, I'm not here to, I don't have to agree with what people are doing, but it's not my job, not my role, to condemn them to hell. <laughs> yeah. That's that's what it means. Like, I I'm ju- I do judge people. I can like. Yeah, what you're doing is wrong. 
doesn't mean I don't love you. This means like what you're doing is wrong. <laughs> like, I prefer that you don't do that. <laughs> but you're, but yeah, you're. That's that's in your time to figure out. So I think, you know, that's where we as that's where I believe Christians have come short. In my generation, I think there's a change happening in, in this current you know group or batch of young people. I don't know. Because we're still running around talking about we're woke. It's it's those are Yeah, we have to move that, beyond that, I think, before we really know whether or not we've we've made any significant progress. Because the whole woke thing is not helping anybody. Yeah. I mean you can't you can't have one without the other, right? Hey, we got <laughs> If I make the cut, I, I got two cents on this. All right. Um you guys are doing a great job so far, but the the best thing about it is, in my opinion, well, there's two things. One is the effort to do it. And two is that effort comes from the belief and value in, in, in the individual, which I think two things, super cool. I'm proud of you guys. Do, do what you do. <laughs> Thanks, man. I love you. <laughs> Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. That was Christian Sinclair. <laughs> um, yeah, so secrets out christian sinclair is actually my son so whoever's following him on youtube wow that's what happens when we don't talk for two weeks i know um, we get two hours straight of just constant uh <laughs> wow yeah that was good uh that was a fun episode <laughs> <laughs> Uh, once again, did not get to do any of the other new segments that I've been meaning to do. So, uh, I won't, I won't even make any promises that I'm going to do that in this next week. Cause that would just be foolhardy, but I've, I don't know. I've been thoroughly enjoying the format that we <laughs> we've had going here lately. So maybe we won't shake things up too much for now and just kind of keep rolling. But, um, I don't know anything else you want to add. No, I, I appreciate everybody that listens. Uh, and please follow us on social media. I hang out more so on Twitter uh than the book of face but you know if you if you like what what you're hearing please share it and if you have things that you you're probably thinking in your head like hey i want to get a different perspective let us know just please you know share it with us we'll talk about just about anything obviously um we we just really want to hopefully we spark conversations hopefully we spark um just a different way of thinking and looking at things not that that's important but we're going to keep doing it because I think it helps us to be better men uh, and better fathers and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that if you have two people that are really trying to like challenge each other to be better, you're doing your part to make the world a better place. That was super touchy feely, but I believe it's true. This has been deep thoughts with Andre Powell. (laughs) Where am I right? No, I think, I mean, ultimately you're right. It is, it is somewhat cheesy, but like the goal is to, yeah, I think you and I, when we talk, like we challenge each other and the beliefs that we have and the thoughts and, um, you know, it's, it's hoping that that extends to other people outside of this direct one-on-one conversation as well. And not necessarily that we want you to think exactly what we're thinking, but that you, you pause for a moment and kind of evaluate you know what it is the the beliefs and the thoughts that you have and whether or not you know those are founded in reality or in some other mess 
the sky stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> some hippie, some hippie dippy crap. But no, but thank you so much for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. Um, we will should be back next week with another episode, and uh, hopefully, we don't have too many of these uh, extended delays where we go a couple of weeks without any podcasts. So we'll talk to you soon. Take care.